0: You're listening to Pod With Me. On this episode...
1: I did take a drink from somebody and it just didn't taste right. And I couldn't move my body, but I could hear everything that was going on. I remember just all the lights in the house flashing on and off. And that's how they knew that someone was at the door. We're waiting in the room and they tell us that there's been a bit of a hiccup, that they may have given her too much anesthesia. It seems that when they did the heart surgery, they hadn't cleaned the utensils correctly. Her nurse walks in and she says, what happened? How is it that your patient is in the middle of coding and you are not even aware? Let's get a sound check. Are you ready to pod? Let's
0: go. Welcome to the pod, Andrew Diaz.
1: Good, thank you so much for having me.
0: I sense you're a little bit nervous. This is your first podcast, right?
1: Yes, pretty nervous, I'll be honest.
0: Uh, don't worry about it, I got your back. So you've become quite an entrepreneur, huh?
1: I own a tutoring company. It's called Rooted Education, and it has tremendously grown more than I thought it would. So
0: I'm excited to hear your story on how you got to do what you do today. But before you got to this point, uh, life took you through many twists and turns and many different occupations and and I don't know, you've been through so much and your story is very fascinating. So tell us, how did it all begin?
1: Uh, It's funny because my sister's husband actually calls me a Barbie sometimes because you know how Barbies have those, they have Barbie doctor, Barbie veterinarian, Barbie everything. And I have been one of those people that has tried out, I would say every single job. The way that I started was when I was in high school. I took sign language classes. My mom really, really wanted my my sister and I to learn a new language, and she said that we should learn sign language. And the reason she said that is because if someone is deaf or hard of hearing or just can't speak, my mom loved Helen Keller. She said that they should be able to communicate; that that should be their right. So she really wanted us to take sign language, and we did. My high school offered sign language in order to attend college. A lot of colleges want two years of language. So I offered as my senior project for community service to teach the last year of sign language to the students. So between myself and another student, we taught the sign language classes for high school.
0: Your mom didn't know sign language?
1: No. She just grew up watching the Helen Keller movie a lot. I vividly have this image of my mom and I watching the movie where Helen Keller goes up to her parents plate of food and she just starts grabbing with her hands food. And so this woman comes in and becomes her tutor and she starts teaching her manners. She starts teaching her how to communicate with people through sign language. And my mom for some reason really loved that movie and she wanted my sister and I to learn sign language. And we make a joke of it because when my sister was little she would always ask people for a bite of their food. And my mom would say, that's why you need to continue watching the Helen Keller movie. But it was just a joke I
0: <laughs> I think that it's amazing that a, a movie made such an impact. Had she not seen Helen Keller, you wouldn't know sign language today. Isn't that incredible?
1: It is. I find out that there's a student that she is deaf and she needs a tutor for English. But because most teachers in Miami-Dade didn't know, and I wasn't a teacher then, I was still in college, but because most people didn't know sign language, my high school actually reached out to let me know that there was a student, like a little girl, she was probably like six or seven. So I would go to her home and I would teach her with sign language how to write sentences that were English appropriate. If you're going to say I cross the street, you first draw the street with your hands and then you say I cross. So that's how her writing was coming off. And we needed to help her transfer that to English.
0: This was your first student?
1: This was I guess yes, this actually was my first tutoring. I do remember where she lives. So sometimes I'll pass by her house when I'm driving just because it's in the way of where I'm heading. And I think back to to her. The one thing I remember is when I would go to her house because they were deaf, the whole family was deaf. It was for the first time ever seeing somebody use the TTY, where it's the the phone service where you have an interpreter that calls instead of an actual person. And seeing when the doorbell would ring, it wasn't a ring, it was the lights flashing on and off. So whenever somebody would call them, their TV would flash and the TV would bring up, they would would have to either answer or decline the call. But once they answered, their TV would have a, a person and the, whoever was on the phone would be speaking and the interpreter would sign back to the family what the person was saying, and then they would sign right back to the person and the person would then relay the information back to the person on the phone. The interpreter would have the information relayed to the person on the phone. It was, to me, it was mind blowing. And I, honestly, I can't remember if FaceTime was a thing back then, but it was FaceTime before FaceTime. <laughs>
0: Wow. And then that is incredible. They were, ahead of, they were ahead of the time.
1: So whenever I would ring the doorbell, uh, you would never hear a sound. And I was always curious about that. So my mom actually rang the doorbell one time because she was there to pick me up. And I remember just the, all the lights in the house flashing on and off. And that's how they knew that someone was at the door. And then whenever they wanted to get attention from somebody else, they would stomp on the ground because they would feel the vibrations of the floor. That's how they would know that someone was calling them. So the mom would usually stomp on the ground really hard and the daughter would turn around. And it's hard to sense it when you have all of your five senses, but I know that for her, she felt it right away. And for me, sometimes I would wonder, why, why is she stomping on the ground? And then I realized it. Every time she stomped, the daughter would turn around.
0: Comes to show you that no matter what, there's always somehow, some way to survive. That's incredible. So after you finished tutoring her, what was next in your journey?
1: After I finished tutoring her, I began college. And it's probably a little personal, but when I was 17, I went to a college party with my sister because, of course, every every kid wants to be in a college party. You know, my mom always taught me don't take drinks from people. And to me, I was like, oh, that just happens in the movies. I didn't really think anything serious of it, but I did take a drink from somebody and I ended up in a one day coma because the drink, as much as I try to remember, it just didn't taste right and I couldn't move my body, but I could hear everything that was going on. Obviously I was grounded for life. My mom did not let me go anywhere.
0: You weren't supposed to drink.
1: Exactly, (laughs) I wasn't supposed to drink. My sister tried to get me to the hospital. Someone had picked me up to put me in a car to take me to the hospital. They ended up dropping me. So I had hit my head really, really hard. And that's what actually caused me to then enter the one day coma. Because I knew sign language, I started signing to my sister what happened because I was confused. And the doctors actually thought I was having another seizure because I'm moving my hands in a certain way. And my sister said, no, she's speaking to me. And through sign language, because I was intubated, through sign language, I asked my sister what's going on. And from there, she she told the doctors, she's awake, she's alert. And I I stayed there for about two days for them to evaluate that everything was okay. And, you know, I just had not a dislocated shoulder, but it was hard for me to move my shoulder from the angle that I was dropped and I recovered and I was perfectly fine. So from that hit to the head, I would say that numbers and addresses became very hard for me. And I was in AP classes, I was in honor classes, and I started failing my AP classes.
0: When did you have your next drink?
1: Honestly, I did wait until I was 21. I was terrified, I was terrified to drink. I thought that something would always happen to me. And I used to actually work at a restaurant back then when I was 17, because that's the only way that my mom would let me leave the house is if I had a job. <laughs> so I started working at a restaurant. And I remember somebody had spilled margarita on the menu, I ran to the bathroom to throw up because just the smell of it brought back vivid memories of waking up from a coma.
0: Incredible. So you always have to guard your drink or be careful who you take a drink from and don't leave it around. So all those rules are true.
1: <laughs> they are. And I started having anxiety. And it was a bit of social anxiety, which I never had before. And You know, with time, it's gotten a lot better and I don't feel like I have social anxiety anymore, but I still have anxiety.
0: My goodness, you've gone quite through a lot already at this time, huh? (laughs) There's more. (laughs) But wait, there's more?
1: I kept wondering, what can I do that doesn't have to do with numbers that I can succeed in? So I switched to an English major and during that time that I had just started my classes is actually when my mom started to get really sick. My mom was diabetic and she, she just... I guess couldn't get the diabetes under control and she kept having to go back to the hospital with usually an infection or her sugar was out of control. Um, and you know, she didn't have medical care. She didn't have medic Medicaid, so she couldn't afford the medications. It's interesting to see the difference because my mom is, my mom was a twin and my aunt could afford Medicare and she did have her insulin and everything. And they had completely different lives. In wow. the sense that, you know, they're twins, but one of the twins is healthy and the other one is never healthy because one can afford health care and the other one can't.
0: Was it about what she ate? Well, it's very hard to control diabetes, right? It's it's a hard, it's difficult to control the balance of what you yeah, eat? Yes, so
1: she, she got diabetes when she was pregnant with me and it was hard for her to control the eating in the sense that, you know, everyone has a sweet tooth and it's it, it's I can't imagine living a lifestyle where you have to restrict yourself in certain things because they are deadly to your body. So for her, typical blood sugar for her was anywhere in the 300s and 500s, which, you know, most people would be in a coma at that point. But her body was so used to it that that was that was normal for her to be in that range of her sugar, her blood sugar.
0: And it was hard. Was- Did she stay away from sugar or, or, or she she still had it?
1: I mean she ate normal. She didn't she didn't have a strict diet all the time. She ate normal. Then when she did realize that her sugar was too high, maybe she would hold off from eating sweets for like a day or two. But her sugar being that high was normal for her. In, so it's not in, like she ever had a diet.
0: In hindsight, do you think that she should have just dropped sugar completely?
1: I do. I do think that it would have helped if she would have had medical support or medical like the medical needs of insulin and all of the things that a diabetic needs that are so expensive nowadays she wouldn't have needed to change her lifestyle because you can control your your diabetes if you have insulin a lot of people are able to successfully do so my aunt is an example so
0: knowing that she couldn't get the help needed like the medicine needed uh, to take care of herself did she ever get any advice from her doctors to just plainly quit sugar you know take care of herself change her diet
1: it's hard me to remember, to be honest, that time of my mom being sick is a very, I know your brain protects you from trauma. And that time of her being sick is a very vague memory. When I was 21, um, I decided that because, you know, my mom was always sick and my sister and I were the ones working full time. By then, my sister had already uh started college as well and my mom had lost her job actually my mom lost her job because they refused to provide her a stool to sit on she was a cashier and they did did not want to accommodate her disability she had gotten an amputation on her feet not her feet sorry her toes she had gotten toe amputations and they told her that since she was a cashier she was required to stand up but she needed a stool to sit on because it was hard for her to stand up for eight hours a day And they refused to give it to her, so they let her go so by then my sister and I were the only ones working full time to help sustain everything in the household. So it was hard for us because we had just started college and the time that is supposed to be you know this fun experience where you're getting to know who you are and you know living the most of your life my sister and I really couldn't do that because we were working full time jobs and it was either full-time jobs and up and a part-time job or in full-time school as well so it was a lot to handle for i still considered myself a kid back then i'll be honest so it was a lot to handle for a, a kid yeah and we just knew we had to do it so we ended up doing it so i also feel like that's another reason why it's very big
0: yeah i'm i'm sure it's big i mean who wants to remember that i mean you have so much responsibilities at that age um, I'm sure it must have been very, very tough on you and your sister. I mean, I can't imagine how you guys were handling this.
1: Honestly, we had to take turns between one of us being in the hospital during the daytime and the other one being in the hospital during the nighttime. She was in a co- in a three-month coma back back then because of medical negligence. And, you know, the hospital that she was in, they were not giving her the proper care. Sometimes we would walk in and there was pee all over the floor because they hadn't changed her pee bag Or you could smell like flesh and it's because they hadn't shifted her body so her body had cold sores and It became it became a full time job between my sister and I making sure that we would go to the hospital and that someone was taking care of her. To the point that you know if there had to be someone in the hospital at any time, because we no longer trusted that they would take care of her and you know at ultimately we were correct because after she woke up from her coma, we thought, okay, the worst is over. And less than a year later, actually, she went to the hospital. She, you know, she, she became a regular at the hospital in the sense that people would see her and they already knew her by name. They already knew who she was. And that in about less than a year later, she went back into the hospital. So actually she was in a coma because she had gone in for a triple bypass surgery on her heart and after the surgery actually before the surgery even started we're waiting in the room and they tell us that there's been a bit of a hiccup that they may have given her too much anesthesia and that you know we they had to wait for some of it to wear off before they could begin the surgery so we already were nervous and once the surgery finished she again vaguely remember she didn't wake up and 3 months passed and she still hadn't woken up from from the surgery and we really did think that you know this is our life now just visiting the hospital every single day and making sure that she's being taken care of and one day she she woke up one day she just woke up and it was ultimately like having a child she had to learn how to eat again had to learn how to walk again she had to learn how to speak again it was it was strange because you're seeing it's like you were raising your own parents and you were seeing your all of these things that you see a child accomplish, like you see the child take their first steps, their first spoon, their first word, which are happy moments. But for us, it was, I guess, very traumatizing because it's somebody that already knew how to do all these things. Now we are watching her grow in a sense. And, you know, we thought the worst was over. But from that same surgery, it seems that when they did the heart surgery they hadn't cleaned the utensils correctly so less than a year later she went back in with chest pain and she said that she had like a bit of a cough and she had a cold and that she wanted a doctor to see her and because she was already a regular they said oh okay just take a seat we'll have a doctor come see you so the same hospital tells her oh just take a seat we'll be right with you we'll, we'll come we'll come look at you later and A whole day passed, they admitted her into the hospital. Still no doctor had passed by to come see her. And, you know, at this point, my sister and I really think, you know, she's okay. So we went home and we had this routine where we would always call her right before bed, just to make sure that, you know, she's okay and everything. And um, for some reason, I didn't call her. And I thought, you know, if she's already asleep, I don't want to wake her up. It's hard for her to rest anyways let me not call her and I'll just talk to her in the morning. And I would say about an hour later, I got a call from my sister saying, the hospital called saying, mom coded again. I think nothing is wrong. This is just the third time that she calls, she's going to be fine. Uh, she'll, She'll wake up in like a day. And maybe it was a bit of denial. When I walked into her room, there was blood all over the floor and they were performing CPR. And I think that's when I realized, okay, what is going on? So she had signed a DNR with the hospital and said that she did not want to be resuscitated. So when I walked in and all I all I really remember is like three or four doctors giving her CPR and just a lot of blood on the floor and no explanation as to what had happened. And then I remember, you know, it's kind of like a state of shock where I just stood there until I finally felt someone like pull me out of the room and Her nurse, the nurse that we had talked to right before we left, her nurse walks in and she says, what happened? And to me, that was, I I can honestly say I saw that, because how is it that your patient is in the middle of coding and you are not even aware? So I started screaming, asking her where she had been. And she said, oh, I went on a lunch break, but she didn't leave anyone in charge of my mom. So it they tell us that you know they put her into a coma so that her body can rest. And I my first thought was that's not what she wanted. So then I said, she had a DNR. And they said, oh, well, we didn't see that when we walked into the room. And I had looked at my mom's hand and she had a DNR bracelet. And when I looked for the DNR bracelet, it's not there. And I said, where's your DNR? It was a lot of confusion. And I think it was a lot of them covering up what had happened wrong. Um, and Two days later or a day later, they tell us, um, honestly, it's a little (laughs) insensitive the way that they say it, but I know that that is how they're trained to say it, but they come up to my sister and I and they say, um, you know, she has expired, which is a terrible way to tell somebody that. you're.
0: I've never even heard. What what hospital is this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's Kendall Regional.
0: Wow. Um, What year was this?
1: This was 2016.
0: Not too long ago. Wow. Um, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure there was a lawsuit.
1: There was not because as much as we tried to sue them, you know, they kept denying any wrongdoing and it wasn't until the statute of limitations was over actually, because it's, it's two years from the malpractice that you have in order to sue somebody. A year after she had passed away, we received a letter in the mail from the hospital saying, Um, dear Alina, which was my mom's name, we would like for you to come in for a checkup because the surgery you had performed. And then it said the day of the surgery, uh, on this day may have had utensils that were contaminated. Please come in for a checkup, which that is just to me, a, a slap in the face because she died in your hospital. You should have a record that says that she's dead. So why is it that you're sending us a letter asking for her to come in? So that when we got that letter is when, you know, I started contacting lawyers and all of them said the same thing. The statute of limitations is over. That's probably why they sent the letter, because they knew that the statute of limitations was over. So we couldn't sue them anymore for that.
0: That is unbelievable. Wow. That, that is yeah. mind blowing. The story is mind blowing. It's, it's, and do you think this had to do with her not having Medicare?
1: I don't know. I think it had to do a lot of. I, I, honestly, I don't know. I don't know because even if she didn't have Medicaid, Medicare, or if she didn't have a way of paying for the hospital, I, you know, it's it's the duty to take care of the patient. So I really don't know how things got so out of hand or how so many mistakes were made. And till this day, we don't really know why she passed away because in her death certificate it says natural causes, but there's nothing natural of someone bleeding out and you not knowing why. And we were never given a reason as to why there was blood everywhere. And, you know, we never knew why. And that's something that we think about all the time. It just why we never found out a reason.
0: So sorry, you went through that. That is something that 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 is unheard of. After that, huge obstacle and life changing experience, what was your next steps?
1: I decided I'm going to try and go back to school and, you know, make my dream and my mom's dream of becoming a veterinarian come true. And that's when I started working at Banfield and I started working as a veterinary assistant. I only worked there for about four or five months because it was very, very emotionally tolling. You know, I had just dealt with my, my mom passing away and now having to see animals be put down, It was, it was nerve wracking. And it was, it was honestly depressing. It really was. So I thought I need a different job and I know I hopped around with jobs a lot. So I thought, what is one thing that I can do that I think I thought (laughs) I was very wrong, but I thought is easy. What's something that I can do that's easy. That is just, you know, half of the day. I don't have to work too hard. And I thought, you know what teachers have a great schedule. They have the whole summer off and they work until 3 (laughs) p.m. I thought, wow, you get every single holiday off. You can work until 3 p.m. I'm just going to become a teacher. And I started teaching August, 2017 and funny enough, the first, funny enough. The first job that I got teaching is the first school that my mom ever went to when she got to the United States. And that's when I really started seeing my passion for education. But realistically, once I started teaching, I realized that it was more about the data. Students were seen as data. And I remember vividly having a new student that had come in in like February, and the student was behind and the vice principal telling me, oh, you don't have to worry about her because she's not going to count for the data. We can worry about her next year. And I just remember thinking, so because a student doesn't count for the data, they no longer count to teach. And I didn't feel like I fit in (laughs) so after working there for a year I transferred to a different school and it's a very small school not a lot of people know about it, but it's a school that is. Hospital homebound, so we actually used to go to the students homes or to the hospital, because the students that were the population of the school typically had cancer or they were in some sort of medical disability or in recovery. For various reasons, they could not attend a physical school. And I loved working there, but it did bring back a lot of memories of my mom because having to go teach students in the hospital and just hearing the the beep of the machines, it it did kind of trigger a bit of PTSD, you know hearing that final beep. And it was hard for me to work there. So then the pandemic starts and they tell us that we all have to teach online. And that's actually when I decided that I wanted to open a tutoring company because I thought, you know, I can't teach these kids eight hours a day online. How about they just do it on their own time and I will provide them support when they need it. So after school hours, when the kids had already done whatever work they wanted to do, I would do very quick Zoom calls or over the phone or through text message asking them that there's anything that they needed more support on. And, you know, parents would reach out and I thought, ok, I can I prefer doing this. I prefer the one on one. I prefer helping the kids and building that connection with the families. you become a part of their family because you're in their home. You're a private teacher, essentially. So
0: I guess you found your niche what what really what really fulfills I did. you, huh?
1: I felt really happy all the time when I would go to the students' homes and I was be I would be able to give them the one on one attention that you can't give in a classroom of thirty kids. or when you have one hundred and eighty kids in your first year teaching, you don't get to build that connection. And so I felt very happy. And right before the pandemic started, I decided, you know, I think I would do well if I had a tutoring company. And I came up with the whole idea, and I started creating all the branding. But I honestly think that I was very scared to actually start. Because even though I created everything in 2020, I didn't actually begin working the company in 2021. I had taught at five different schools already and i feel like i was just hopping from school to school trying to find the one place that i fit in but the way that i teach and the the vision that i have for education just didn't fit in one spot
0: you know these schools have a certain way of doing it for years and it's hard to change a system and it's hard to get them to think out of the box because it's just not one person you need to convince it's a whole system so that takes an army i think to change but um you're doing it actually by doing this you're planting a seed for other things to change. And that's amazing. So tell us what makes you different from other tutorings and and what is it that your tutoring company does?
1: So we focus on phonics, reading comprehension, and writing. A lot of kids are embarrassed that they have to receive tutoring because they feel that they are behind. And so I thought what would be valuable and privacy is very valuable. And going into the home of the parents and the students that is providing you with a privacy where you can receive tutoring and nobody has to know about it if that's something that you're embarrassed about all of the kids lessons are personalized so we teach based on the vark system which is the visual auditory reading writing and kinesthetic if you're a visual learner then you typically learn better if you have graphs in front of you if you're auditory then you learn better with someone speaking to you reading writing which that's the type of learner that i am i like to read things on my own and write notes and then kinesthetic is where you have to physically do things on your own or you learn by doing it, by trial and error. And that's something that I really wanted to have because everybody learns the same, everybody learns differently. And that's something that is difficult for teachers to do in a classroom because how do you teach four different learning styles to 30 different kids when you don't know what each of their learning styles is? So one of the things that we do is we actually do an assessment for the kids to see what type of learning style they are, to make sure that all of their lessons have some of their learning, if not all of their learning styles, because you can be more than one implemented into the lesson. But with tutoring, there's such a bond and a personalization that we have created for the students that it they really do. It's very fulfilling to see the aha moment and it's fulfilling to see them start to like something that they thought they didn't like
0: awesome that is fantastic what is the name of your school your tutoring school
1: the tutoring company is rooted education
0: and it, what's the website
1: rootededucation.com so
0: what advice do you have for those people out there that are going through hard times with a parent that's sick or don't know what to do in life
1: i definitely think that in order to figure out what you want to do with life you have to experience life and you have to try new things if you don't try new things out then how do you know what you really want to do? And, you know, <laughs> I might have been told that I was the, the version Barbie, but that is how I found out what I wanted to do, where I tried out as many different things as I could until I found my passion.
0: Thank you so much for peeing on the pod. And uh, one more thing.
1: Don't fall off the pod.
0: <laughs> hey, podheads, can't get enough of the pod? You can always go to your app store and download the Pod With Me app. And if you want to comment on any of the episodes, you can also check us out and follow us on our social media under pod with me, AJA. And remember, you can always listen to the pod in any podcast app. I'm Alex J. Aguirre. And until next time.